here. Hope, uh, hope we can get around and meet you, but if we can't, uh, our numbers are on the back here. If you need anything, just don't hesitate to give us pastors a call this week, and maybe we can be of some help to you, but it's uh, just really blessed to have you here. We've got a few things going on this week. Uh, actually, next Sunday night, we have our business meeting, and we're going to talk about the budget for the upcoming, well, for this year, and the, those budgets are back on all the tables where the where the bulletins are at. So if you'll come next uh, week after this service, you can be part of our business meeting. Then uh, Trail Life is uh, going to be tomorrow night, uh, but uh, that's the ministry for kids that are 5 to 17 years old, and you can talk to Mike Froddy about that. But it's going to be moving up to the upper chapel up here. So if you're bringing your kids to Trail Life, it won't be down here. It'll be up there because of Upward is down here. And then... Uh, Upward Basketball starts next Saturday, and we're still needing some volunteers, still need some people uh, to come at 8 o'clock Friday night and help set up for the games, and then come at about uh, 4 or 5 o'clock and help uh, turn this place back into a church. We also need some people to give their testimonies at halftime, so we don't need anyone next Saturday, but the following Saturday, we could sure use some people to volunteer to give their testimonies, so if that's you... Uh, come talk to me or uh, my wife, Nicole, or Jennifer Randolph. Then uh, lastly, we have the senior potluck. That's uh, just right after this service, right across the hall. So if you're a senior, just come join us. You don't have to have brought anything. You can just come uh, join us. It's a good time to, to sit around and uh, enjoy each other's company. So come do that. Um, I want to talk to you guys today about the uh, baby bottle boomerang. You saw out there, uh, out here is a big basket full of these baby bottles. And these are for True Care. Excuse me. And True Care is the the crisis pregnancy center for women here in Casper. And I've been able to serve on the board for the last five years, which has been a huge blessing, by the way. Uh, We, about 300 women a year, come through the center over there. And these are women who have found themselves in a place where they're, they're pregnant and they, they, they can't keep the baby. They, they've been convinced by the difficulties and the brokenness in this world that they're going to have to have an abortion. And so they come to us and there's a group of women over there at that crisis pregnancy center that are just incredible. They have devoted their lives to, to just being there for these women. And we get to, they get to take them back and, and show them their baby on an ultrasound which is very compelling, we found, for them, for these women to kind of realize the gravity of the decision that they're needing to make. And these women are often torn. They, they're sitting in a place in life where they know for a fact they can't keep this baby. There'll be consequences if they do, oftentimes financial consequences, or their, their, their uh, partner will leave them, or the, their health, or many things that the, the cause of these women to believe that abortion is their only solution. And, and these women walk with them and show them their baby and share with them the reality that they can keep this baby. And, and oftentimes there's just some resources that they need. And that's been amazing to me as, the, as being on the board of directors is that it's this whole package that they provide to these women of, of supporting them and undergirding them and showing them all the resources that are available to them, all the, the help that they can get, um, go on and, and get them on some benefits that they need. Um, there's, there's some funding to help them actually pay for their hospital stay if that's what they need. There's some paths to show them that they can get adoption if that's what they need. 
And most importantly, we get to show these women that there is help and there's support. We get to share Christ with them and, and let them know that, that, that God has a plan in this. And it's a pretty amazing, the response rate. The, the vast majority of these women end up deciding to carry their baby, and they're, they're happy that they do. And there's some that don't. There's some women that, that go on, and they, they, they terminate the abortion, or they terminate the pregnancy with abortion, and we don't leave them. We, we try to reach out to them and find them after that. We provide a lot of post-abortion counseling. And we, we want them to know that no matter what they decide, we love them and we're here for them. And Jesus loves them and Jesus is here for them. It's a really powerful ministry that uh, we get to take part of. I think that we should, we should take the time to do our part and uh, put these bottles on our counters and pray for these, these people that are serving our community in these ways and pray for the women every day. Every day there's a woman here that needs it needs us. Many people say well, they were happy this year when Roe versus Wade was overturned and abortion could potentially become illegal. It's illegal in our state right now. It doesn't change one bit of the, the 300 women that are in desperate need right now. We as a church need to do to know that we, we still have a huge role to play in these people's lives, whether abortion is legal or not. So uh, take one of these bottles, uh, put it on your counter, take some time to pray. Uh, fill it up with some money and bring it back uh, by President's Day, February 18th. Do that for me. Stand up and let's pray. Worship the Lord. God, thank you for true care. Thank you, Lord, for the women that you've brought there to serve other women, the broken women of our community, God. And thank you, Lord, that we have these people among us, God. You loved the least of these, Lord, and you want us to reach out to these, the, the ones, Lord, that broken and needy. God, it's our job, Lord. It's your heart. We're your hands and your feet. Lord, we're the ones that you've made able to love and to nourish the broken people of our city. Pray that we would welcome that opportunity and rejoice in the opportunity that we have to do your work, Lord, that we would be inspired, Lord, and, and joyful and honored, God, to do it. I also pray that we would obey and do it when it's hard. Pray that we would, we would lean on to you, we would trust in you. We would cast our cares upon you, Lord, knowing that without you, we are nothing. So today, as we worship you, I pray that we would confess these things to you right now and worship you with all of our hearts because what you've done for us. Amen. Come out, brother. Come out, sister.
we share with these ladies at True Care.
sing about the gift Jesus has given us and the gratitude we should have for it.
seated. Good morning. I, uh, I want to share this morning a little bit about our, our mission trip opportunities we have this summer. You know, we have been a blessed church in so many ways. I, I really can't even describe how many ways God has blessed us and used us. And, and one of the ways is by allowing us to serve different churches and different people overseas over these last probably 18, 19 years. We've been to many different places, but we've been asked this summer to go to Portugal in July. The dates in there are 10th through the 14th, but we'll actually leave the 8th and get back the 16th. And then in Zambia in August from the 4th through the 15th. And, and honestly, I just want to talk about the, the privilege of that. You know, because sometimes I think we've kind of gotten used to some things and find things to be normal, and it's just not, right? You and I should be thrilled about serving Jesus. I don't care where it's at, right? Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Are you kidding me? That he would save us? That he would call us to be his own, that he would wash us clean and, and make us a new person. We should be thrilled about that. And, and service flows from that. Now, I know that we're not all called to go overseas, but, but let me just tell you that there's some, some stuff that we have, to, we have to kind of figure out, right? The, the questions people ask me is, why would we go overseas and serve when we have plenty to do here? Uh, because the Bible says in Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses and you, and, well, you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You will. So we should go because God commands us. That's simple. Uh, and honestly, I always tell people, if I go overseas, I usually serve for a couple of weeks over there. The rest of the time I serve here. How about you? You're serving here? We should serve here like we serve anywhere else. The other thing people ask me is, why don't we just send them money? They don't really need us. Well, the truth is, is we support both of these churches already. That's not really an issue where we're going. But if you've ever been overseas, you won't have to ask that question again. Because they don't want our money. They can, they can use it and they appreciate it. They want somebody to walk with them and love them and show their, their concern for them. And really, truly, one of the great blessings of going on mission trips is that you actually get to love somebody and encourage the church in a way that you can't even imagine. And so these two churches, we've worked with them before. The one in Portugal is fantastic. Pastor Rick and Starla, it's their daughter and her husband, Mario, maybe one of the finest, strongest, most humble pastors in the world. And I'm not exaggerating. You can't tell him I said that. I wouldn't tell him I said that. He's fantastic. But they have a, they have a real powerful difficult ministry. It's kind of inner city where they are. Uh, they have all kinds of people from Muslims to gypsies to you name it in between that they're trying to reach and God's using them. And so we're going to have the opportunity to go do a week of ministering to them and their church. And so we need all kinds of people from children to youth to adults to senior adults. And it's not going to just be games and all this. I know some people think that we're just going to go have a bunch of fun and it, it will be fun at times. But we're going to be battling for them and serving them and encouraging them and giving to them and, and everything that we can do. And it's going to be, if you will, a lot of spiritual work and physical work. So we need your help. The last time we went and did this for them, we actually had to teach them how to put up tents. I know that doesn't sound like any big deal because we're from Wyoming and a lot of us camp. 
but they thought they could take a bunch of tents that they'd never set up and set them up at about 11 o'clock at night. And it'd just be a few minutes and we'd have them set up. And about 1, 1.30, when we're getting their tents finished up for them, they realized the camping was more than they thought it was. But, you know, just those kind of things to show them. So I really encourage you to pray about going to Portugal with us. Uh, we can use anybody and, and everybody. The, the ministry in Zambia is, is different and yet powerful in the same way. We're going to go stay at an orphanage with 80 children plus uh, most of these children have lost both their parents. Some of them have lost one parent. The other parent can't afford to feed them. So they end up putting them in this orphanage. And these children, they just need to be loved on. And they need to have people encourage them. They need people to play with them. And they need people to teach them. Uh, it's not that they don't have people to do that already. But, but they're blown away that somebody would travel that far and care that much about them. Not only that, but we're going to work with the church that's right outside the orphanage, which is in the bush. And the orphanage is in the bush. And then there's two mission churches that this, this church has started way out in the bush. And we're going to have a chance to go out and we're actually going to share our testimonies and share the gospel as we walk through the bush. And, uh, you know, I know sometimes all we can think about is, man, it's going to cost a lot or it's going to take a lot of time or it's going to be uncomfortable, but there's such blessing in some of this stuff. Uh, just Portugal, one of the early trips we took to Portugal, we were just out sharing the gospel and we're walking down the street. We see a man in front of us and he's kind of sitting there and people are coming to and from him. And so we get a chance to walk up to him and he's a gypsy. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but I was blessed to spend two, two different times in Bulgaria just working in gypsy villages. And I have this huge heart for these people because they're broken and mistreated and severely mistreated in this world everywhere you go. And how, what's the chance of me walking up to a man in, in Portugal and being a gypsy? And I shared Christ with him. And he told me, I'm not worth enough for God to save me. Because I'm a gypsy. By the grace of God, I got to tell him, are you kidding me? Made in the image of God and shared Christ with him. This guy trusted Christ that day. That's life changing for anybody involved with that. Last time we were in Zambia, we're out in the bush and the pastor in one of these bush churches says, Pastor, I want you to go to this one house with me. This young couple really needs just to hear about Jesus and so we went to this house, and it was made out of sticks. And I've seen a lot in Africa, and I know that when the house is made out of sticks that are inch or two inches in diameter, I know that's poor, desperately poor. Because if you had any kind of money, you'd make your own bricks that would last only about seven years, and then you'd build it again. This guy was poor, and his wife. They didn't have any furniture in their home. They didn't have any food. The only thing I could see in their place was a little bit of oil in a bottle and some water. And so we sat outside in the shade of this little hut and talked about Christ. And this couple trusted Christ again right there. And I'm not telling you that happens every time we share Christ in these places. But if you think you can't go and experience the power of God in a different setting than you've ever experienced it before, you're crazy. It's humbling. It's blessed. You create relationships with people. There's a woman named Esther in Zambia somewhere 
that comes back when we come because I shared Christ with her and her family and she comes to see me, even though she lives up by the Congo border. Listen, I'm saying we should get excited about Jesus and we should get excited about serving. If you haven't prayed about serving on one of these teams, you should pray. We're having a meeting this afternoon at four. I'll give you much more details. But don't make it about you and don't make it about your prejudices and don't make it about your limitations. Make it about the joy of serving Jesus Christ wherever. And then if he leads you, come and be a part of that. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray for the offering. By the way, as we take this offering, we do. We support Mario and Lancy Pina in Portugal. Uh, we support Faith Children's Village that will be serving in, in uh, Kikolo, Zambia. Uh, we're praying about supporting a young pastor in Zambia who's starting a church in the bush. I mean, we're involved with this already. So don't forget that when you give, give wholeheartedly because, man, what you give not only goes to help us do ministry in Casper, but all around the world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being saved. What an incredible gift to be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Man, you've been so gracious to me. And Lord, I want to share Christ with people here in my city, my neighbors, those that I come in contact with. I want to share Christ with you here, but I want to go wherever you lead us around the world too. Lord, you've given us unique privileges to be invited to these places And we should be excited. And I pray you'd renew that excitement in us. And I pray you'd raise up these teams that we might go in your name for your glory and that lives might be transformed for Christ. As we give this offering, Lord God, let us give it joyfully, thankful for what you've given to us. Let us give to others. And I pray you'd use it powerfully that others around this world would be saved. Lord, we love you. Bless each man and woman in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.
share a pretty neat testimony that happened to me this week. Uh, Pastor Mike preached last Sunday from Matthew 19, and uh, this is one of the points he made from there. If you put it up there, Miss Barb said uh, in verse 4, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. And um, this, we received that exhortation to not give out bad advice about marriage. That God made a male and, male and female from the beginning, and we shouldn't give out the world's advice that question, that resounding question, haven't you read the scriptures? And Monday afternoon, I was in the coffee shop and I got the chance to catch up with my two older boys. And um, my oldest son, Jacob, was just remarking on how much that had impacted him to, to think about, you know, man, we sh- shouldn't be giving out bad advice on marriage as we talk to people and our friends and family members and how much that applies in other areas. Like, where else do we give out bad advice? You know, career advice, other relationship advice. And it was pretty sweet then the next morning after having that conversation to hit Matthew 21. And here it is again. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? And he goes on from there to rebuke them. And I was like, where else is this phrase in the scriptures? And it turns out it's also in Matthew chapter 12. I won't read it there, but haven't you read in the scriptures? And then it's in Matthew, I believe it's 22 is the next one I wanted to throw up there, but just this, haven't you ever read the scriptures? And it's a couple times in Mark and it's a couple times in Luke. And so I was so convicted, like how often have I, I've been having a conversation with a coworker or a friend or something and Jesus would walk up and say, don't tell them that. Haven't you read the scriptures? That's bad advice. Say something different. And so as a church, we've been given God's word. 
been given this light that we can shine into a dark world. So let's rejoice that we can give out good advice, that we can read the scriptures, and then we can say them back to those that we care about.
third grade and under, out the doors. If you guys have your Bibles with you, turn over to Matthew 19 again this week. Sometimes things just aren't what they seem to be, and sometimes we struggle to see things as they really are. Isn't that true? I mean, sometimes we, we put our faith in some things, and man, it's just not, it's not what we thought it was. And sometimes there's some, some truths that are out there that are sure and, and clear, and we just struggle to see them for what they really are. And when it comes to Christ and how he works in our lives, uh, sometimes we just struggle to figure it out. How does that work? And so we're going to look at Matthew 19, 13 through 26 this morning. And I just called it, it's harder for the rich. It's harder for the rich. So Matthew 19, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to look in in verse 1, verse 13, excuse me. Matthew 19, 13. Then some children were brought to him so he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. And someone came to him and said, teacher, what good things shall I do that I may inherit or obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Father, so good to be here this morning. So good, Lord, to turn our attention toward you, to put the fears and the concerns and the fears and the worries of the world behind us, Lord, and to realize that you're so good and so faithful and so loving that, Lord, you want the best for every single person here. It's amazing, Lord God, to think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, to think about the fact that he became our sin and took the punishment, the wrath of God that we deserved and then rose from the dead to give victory over death that all who would believe in him would be saved. It's incredible, Lord. There's no better news anywhere in this world. And I pray that as we look into your word this morning, you'd open our hearts to what you have for us, each one of us, Speak to us uniquely. To the lost, I pray you draw them to salvation. To the believer, I pray you continue to call us away from the world and the things of the world and to worship you above it all. Lord, have your way, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
<clears throat> so last week we, we talked about marriage and divorce and quite honestly, it's one of the most difficult things to talk about in our society today because there's so many people hurting from broken marriages and from divorce and, and a lot of people have different opinions about that. And when you speak God's word and speak truth, it's hard for people and it's difficult for people. And, and yet it's, it's so incredible to me, right, to think about and stand on truth. You know, here is these guys that come to test Jesus. They want to cause him to stumble. They want him to say hard things that they disagree with. And they come and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And, and Jesus' answer is so solid and it's so good. It's so worthy of standing on. He just simply says, you know, in the beginning he created them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And he just basically says, it was never designed to be this way. The blessing that God has for a relationship between a man and a woman is this one flesh relationship marriage that's never separated. It's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. It brings about this sense of security and peace and enables you to grow in love and enables you to have not just a relationship with your spouse, but to experience this incredible relationship with God. And it's a picture of God's relationship to, to us. It's an incredible thing. And man, here we have this thing that we wrestle over so deeply, right? That really all God wants us to do is go take what I've given you and be blessed by it. That's just God's will for us. And so as we continue on through these chapters, I mean, Jesus is still in the same situation. This large crowd is gathered around him and people are coming to him. We see two different, one, a, gr a group bringing children to Jesus. The next one, a single man coming to Jesus and asking Jesus to help him and help them. And Jesus just gives us wisdom, this, this incredible foundation to understand life by and to live by. And so let's look at this as we talk about this. It says in verse 13, then some children were brought to him so that he may lay hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuke them. It's a pretty simple picture to understand, right? Here's Jesus, and people have heard about Jesus. People have heard him teach. They've seen him heal people. It's already told us that this large crowd has come to him, and he's healed the sick among them. So he's already shown this incredible power, this incredible concern, these incredible teachings. And why wouldn't a parent... Or a grandparent or a neighbor or whatever want to bring children to Jesus so that he could pray for them and bless them. It's not a hard concept. I mean, literally, they wanted Jesus to put his hands on this child and, and pray and say, Lord, this child right here, I'm asking for you, Lord, to touch this child, to draw him to you, to protect him, to provide for him, to teach him about the Lord, to give him a relationship. I don't know what Jesus was going to pray about these children, but it was a good thing. These parents wanted the best for their children, and so they're bringing them to Jesus. It makes sense, and gosh, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you should be bringing your children to Jesus. That's what should be your desire of the greatest thing you're ever going to give to your child. It's going to be Christ, bar none. But the disciples rebuke them. They tell them they shouldn't be bringing the children. Some scholars actually believe they rebuke, rebuke the children as if children, you shouldn't be bothering the Savior. And we can kind of understand that too, right? I mean, after all, this is 
pretty intense and this is pretty busy. I mean, we talked about this. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's planning to go give his life on the cross for the sins of the world. And the battles are raging around him. So, all right, he's already under attack and walking through deep waters. But then there's the crowd around him. Everybody wants him to touch their loved one. Everybody wants him to touch their disease and heal them. And, and then there's these opponents that are coming and they're testing Jesus like they did last week. And I mean, it's not like Jesus isn't busy. He's busier than you and I could have ever imagined in this situation. And so I'm sure they're thinking, you know, don't bring the kids. There's more important things to do than to deal with the kids. Isn't that sometimes how we feel? And not necessarily just about children, by the way. Sometimes we feel that way about others that are not that important, not that significant. You know, kind of, man, step aside. Well, I love what Jesus says. Let the children alone. <laughs> and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I, I love, I just simply love that. Let the children alone and don't hinder them. Now, there's just some really simple truths in this thing, right? First of all, the first simple truth is that there isn't a person on this planet that is so insignificant that Jesus isn't willing to receive them to himself, I don't care if it's a child. I don't care if it's a senior adult. I don't care if it's somebody steeped in sin. I don't care. I don't care. Jesus is willing for people to come to him, and he's willing for people to come to him anytime they want to come to him. Now, let me read for you, if you will. If you'd have been with us several weeks ago, back in Matthew 18, 1 through 4, the disciples had asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And it says that Jesus sat a child among them. And then he said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so it's not been that long ago that Jesus has taught, not just about children and the importance of children, but the importance of becoming like a child and coming to Christ and entering the kingdom of heaven. And so now he has this kind of simple opportunity to share the same thing, right? They've brought the children to him. Now the disciples want to send the children away. And he's like, that's ridiculous. I want you to hear this, right? Basically, Jesus is saying to them, don't hinder them because I'm here for them. I'm here for the children. And he's certainly not just talking about the children, the little ones in stature. He's literally talking about all who would come to him as children. Man, he's the savior. Where else would you send somebody in need? He's the savior. Where else would you call somebody in need? He's the savior. He's there for us. And I love that about Jesus. Man, if you are struggling, he wants you to come to him. But what's so cool about this is that he wants you to come like a child. 
Right? He wants the children to come to him because children are simple. Children are awesome. Children, when they come simply to Jesus, what they're saying is, we know we can't save ourselves. We know we can't help ourselves. We know that we need help with our lives right now. We know that we need help with our lives in the future. Have you ever talked to children about Jesus? It's fantastic. I mean, one of the things that is so incredible about children is that they're, for the most part, pretty honest. Like if you say to a child, do you, have you ever done anything bad? (laughs) They don't really know if they should say this, but it's okay. Have you ever done anything you shouldn't do? Yeah, well, like what? Well, I, you know, I, I hit my, I, a lot of kids say, I punch my sister. <laughs> like, oh, well, did she have it coming? No, <laughs> that's not what I say to them, but you know, she probably did. But anyway, I punched my sister or I took a cookie or I told a lie or, you know, I mean, they're going to tell you they're, they're pretty honest. And so then you say, well, do you know what Jesus did for you? You know, talk to a child sometimes. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Well, maybe, and so he said, well, you know, he actually went to the cross for you, actually died on the cross so that the punishment that you deserve for punching your sister would be taken on him. Sometimes children cry at that. I mean, I know that seems like a lot. You talk about Jesus giving his life willingly to a child, and they're like, that's so hard. That seems so unfair. And you say, but you know what? He did that because he loves you. He did that because he loves you. And if you trust him, he'll forgive you of your sins and he'll actually be your savior and he'll walk with you and help you. And not every child is saved when you share that with them, but children, man, they get it. They don't have to be in control of everything. They don't have to know every nuance of everything. They don't have to, you know, decide what they're going to give up or what they're not going to give up or what their views are. They, they get it. And Jesus is saying, look, don't hinder them because when they come to me as children, they're coming sincerely to me. And, and I got to tell you, man, if we would just humble ourselves and be converted like children, like he said in Matthew 18, we would come to Jesus a lot quicker, wouldn't we? Because again, though many of us claim to be in control of our lives we're not ultimately though many of us claim to be the success of our life that success fails quickly and unexpectedly I mean I can go on down through this if you want to talk about parenting so many people have talked about I'm going to be the perfect parent Um, nope you've already failed at that You failed that before you had children, just so you know. And you're you're not going to be all that you think you should be and want to be for yourself or for your spouse or for your children or for anybody else. That's not your role. That's Christ's role. And he's the Savior. And he wants us to come to him like little children. And he says, don't hinder them from coming. I want them to come to me. I find that to be so incredible. I mean, most of us, it takes something humbling or humiliating 
or devastating before we come. It's what it takes for us to be needy before Christ, but it doesn't have to. We can just come. And the King of glory, the creator of all things, loves us and accepts us where we are. And so he tells them, don't hinder them. Let them come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Man, the kingdom of heaven is filled with people who just said this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about my sins. But I know you died for me and rose again. And so I know you're the one that can forgive me and save me. And so here I am, as humbly and as simply as I can be, save me. The kingdom of heaven is full of those people. Because nobody else enters. Nobody. Nobody. And how sweet it is that he invites us in, right? He doesn't want anybody to hinder us. And the Bible says that at the end, he laid hands on them and he departed from there. Man, where are you when it comes to Jesus? Have you been one of these ones that pushes God away because you know that if you come to Jesus as a child, like you have to follow him and you have to obey him and you have to love him because maybe you're an adult, you've figured out that you don't want to, right? You don't want to, so you don't. Well, what do you get for that? Well, you don't get Jesus. You don't get life. You don't get forgiveness. You don't get hope. You know, I often talk to people about whatever they want to talk about, and they'll resist, and they'll resist, and they'll resist, and a lot of times I just end up with them and say, well, what are you going to do when you die? Truly, what are you going to do when you die? All I know is that I think I'll be good enough. Do you think? Anyway, I want you to know that you can come to Jesus just like a little child. I share this, I've shared this a lot, but I'm telling you, when Katie was born and she was sick and she heart her heart would quit beating in my hands, and I said, I need God in my life, and I don't know if he'll even have anything to do with me. I don't, don't know why he would. But Beth and I went to church to find out if he would love us. I didn't go with pride. I didn't go resistant. I went hopeful, desperately needy to find out he would love a wretched sinner like me. And I could not believe it. I mean, I could not believe it that he would take me like I was. And it changed me. And to this very day, it's changed me. And the joy that comes with that, that he would love me, is unlike anything else I've ever known. Nothing else will ever come close. Not one thing. Come to Jesus because you need him. And because he's the only one that can forgive you. Well, not just the kids that they bring to Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 16 says, someone came to him 
I said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? So this is a little different situation, but what a great thing to ask Jesus. Good teacher, what good thing must I do in order to obtain eternal life? I, I love that question. Man, if you don't have a clue how to have eternal life, go to Christ and ask him how to have eternal life because he's the one that knows and he's the one that's in control, right? And it's not St. Peter standing at the doors, open it up to people or not. It's Christ. He's the one. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's it. He's the way, right? So go to Jesus and ask about how to have, how to have eternal life. But Jesus' answer is, is, is always profound because... It's a question. He says to this guy, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who's good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So, so this guy says, what good thing must I do? And Jesus says to him, why are you even talking to me about what is good? There's only one that's good. So he begins to ask this question to this guy, and basically what he's saying, if you look at this, is why would you, who aren't good, ask me if you can do something so good that you could have eternal life? It's a kind of a cra crazy question. I mean, you and I, if you know your scriptures, you know that theologically, biblically, that we can't do enough good works, Right? The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not of works. No man can boast about it. Our salvation is by grace through faith. So you would think that Jesus would say, hey, that's not how we attain salvation. It's a gift of God. And it is. Hallelujah. But Jesus doesn't really say that. Jesus says to him, why are you talking to me about what is good? Because Jesus wants this guy to come to a place where he realizes what he needs is to come to Jesus like the children that he just said to come to him, right? This guy has to come to a place where Jesus brings him to an understanding that it's not going to be by your effort. It's not going to be by your goodness. Matter of fact, the truth of the matter is, as the Bible says, there is none good. Now, I know when I say that, I always have somebody say, well, you know, I'm pretty good. And there are some really good people in this world. There are nice people, kind people, considerate people, giving people, patient people, wise people. There's all kinds of people. But I'm not talking about good compared to other people. I'm talking about good in the very essence of the word. Romans chapter 3 puts it this way, 310 through 20. As it is written, there is none righteous not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery, misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known." There's no fear of God before their eyes. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, Jesus is trying to get this guy to come to a place where he begins to realize it's not gonna be by the good that you do that you're pleasing to God. Matter of fact, Romans 3 or, or 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll never forget talking about doing mission trips. I was in Portugal again and we were just doing evangelism on the street. And so I walk up to this group of young men, 20 to 30 years old, probably, probably 20 of them. And I start talking to them. This guy starts to talk to me. And I said, you know, have you ever trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he says, well, he says, I think, and this is all over the world, people tell me this, I think if my good works outweigh my bad works, when I stand before Christ, I'll be accepted into heaven. And I said, well, I'm sure that's a fair attitude seemingly, except the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I said, so have you ever sinned? Well, yeah. I said, so then how are you going to avoid God's judgment and enter into heaven? Well, I'm going to hope that my good works outweigh my bad works. I said, what are you going to do about the consequences that you deserve for your sin? And he says, well, I'm going to hope that my good works outweigh my bad works. And I said, even if you could stop today, forget about the past, what are you going to do about the sin you commit today or the sin you commit tomorrow? This kid never would get over it. He would just kept saying, I just think I'm going to be good enough. Well, the Bible says that's not going to happen. Do you understand that God is holy? He's holy. He's not going to allow sin into his presence. And so he has made a way through Christ Jesus for us to be found acceptable to God. But it's Christ, not us. It comes through Christ, through trusting Christ, not through our good works, Right? So this guy's saying, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is trying to say to him, why are you talking about what's good? You're not good. We're not good. We need to know that. But Jesus says to him at the end of this sentence, something's almost confusing. He says, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, Jesus, I love this. He's going to meet this guy where he's at. He's focused on what can he do. So Jesus says, you're not really good, but let's just talk about this. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And let's be technical. If we never sinned, if we kept all the commandments, we would be acceptable to God. So it's not unfair to say keep the commandments, even though we know, because the Bible says we can't. All right? So Jesus said, but keep the commandments. And I love this guy. I really do. I love this guy. He gets like, well, which ones? Well, <laughs> well, fair enough. I mean, to some degree, right? Which ones? If I were Jesus, I'd have just said, well, all of them. Because that's the truth. You have to keep them all. You can't break any of them. The Bible says you break one, you're guilty of them all, right? You've sinned. So I would have said, well, all of them. But Jesus, so wise and so patient, he's working this guy to a place that he needs him to come to in order to make this decision about what he's going to do with Jesus. So, so Jesus says, well, you can't murder anybody. You can't sleep with another woman who's not your wife. You can't steal. You can't 
bear false testimony against somebody. You got to honor your father, father and mother and obey them and love them. And you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are pretty deep, right? But this guy says, all of these I've kept since I was young. Now, the cynical me would be like, <laughs> no. No, nobody does that. That's not true. But Jesus is, is incredible. And, and let's just be honest about this young guy. Apparently, this young guy has been a pretty good guy. Let's just say it. He's been a pretty good guy. He goes, man, I haven't murdered anybody. He's not aware that Jesus said, if you call somebody a fool, you're guilty of murder. So he says, I haven't physically murdered anybody. I haven't physically had sex with another woman that's not my wife. I have honored my father and mother. I haven't stolen anything from anybody. I do my best to be nice to people. Apparently, this was a pretty nice guy. Probably the kind of guy that you and I would like and appreciate, right? And so he's trying to be honest with Jesus. He's really searching himself. He's not really looking at all the other things that he probably has done that he probably, if given the opportunity, would have said, I, had, I have sinned against you, Lord. But what he says is remarkable. He says, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Isn't that incredible? I mean, here's a guy who says, Lord, these are the things I'm supposed to do and I've done them, but Lord, I know I'm still needy. I have not come to the place where I have a relationship with you, Lord God, where I have eternal life. I'm still lacking. Man, that is insightful. And that's insightful for us. It should be insightful for the people of our world. There's plenty of people that say they're pretty good people. And sometimes they aren't, sometimes they aren't. But it still doesn't matter, man. There's something that we need that has to come through Christ and won't come any other way, which is that satisfaction of this relationship with God through Christ where we are forgiven and stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. That's a radical transformation, that's not about working to please God. That's about accepting what God has for us. That's why we come as children, right? That's why we come like little children, because we can't do it on our own. Only Jesus can do it for us. And so this guy says, look, I've done all those things. I've been a pretty good guy, but I'm still empty. I still have something in my life that I need. So what is it, Lord? And oh, by the way, when you're out and you're actually talking to people about Jesus and they begin to tell you I'm a pretty good guy, it's okay to say I'm sure you are. It's okay to say that. But you need to take them further. You need to make sure they know that we're not talking about somehow attaining to the goodness of God. That's impossible. And you, you won't be able to do it and you don't have to do it because Christ has done it for us, Right? Make sure you take them there. Don't leave them there. Don't let them think that they're going to be good enough to please God apart from Jesus Christ. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. None. So Jesus then, man, it's, it's like he is just able to just bring things right down to the very core of the issue. And he says, if you wish to be complete, Go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, that is profound. 
Because he's not saying if you sell your possessions and give to the poor, you'll be saved. That's not it. Matter of fact, that has nothing to do with his salvation. Let me read another passage so we can put this in perspective. It's from Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, 19 through 21. Jesus taught, do not store up for yourself treasure on, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. These two passages are teaching the same thing. Jesus isn't saying store up treasures in heaven so that you can earn your way to heaven. He's saying stop living for this world and start living for Christ so that you'll have treasures in heaven. He's not saying to this guy, if you sell all your possessions and give to the poor, you'll have eternal life. What he's saying is, if you're going to have eternal life, your heart has to be for the right things. What he's saying is you have to give up the things that you love so that you can love Christ and you can love God. You have to decide. Who are you going to follow? The call to him was to follow. That was eternal life. Do you understand that? That when we talk about salvation, we're talking about giving our heart, our life, our time, our desires, our preferences, our future to follow Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. You can't come to him like a child and say, I need you, Lord, without saying to him, then now lead me. I want to follow you because I love you. That's what salvation is. So here he is Jesus is saying to this guy, if you want to have eternal life, get rid of the things that are keeping you from me. Now, Jesus isn't telling us that if we're going to be saved, we have to sell everything that we have. Although I've got to say, and we'll see this in a minute, that for many of us, probably most of us, our wealth hinders our relationship with Jesus. Just so you know. But he's not saying we've got to sell everything. What he's got to say is everything has to be less value than me. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I count it all but rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Right? All of my accolades, all of my influence, all the things that I had in this world, they're garbage to me so that I can have Christ in my life. And that's what Jesus is telling this young man. He's like, you want to have eternal life? You have to choose that me as the most valuable one in your life. See, that's what children do. Children go, oh, Jesus died for me. He died for me. That's incredible to me. I want to follow him. If he loves me that much, it's, just, it's not hard for them to understand that. That's incredible to them. He's valuable to them. For many of us, though, right, we, we don't see the value of Christ. And this guy didn't either. Listen to what it says after he calls him to follow him and give up all the other stuff. It says in verse 22, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Why was he grieving? He was grieving because he was so enslaved to this stuff, enslaved to his property, enslaved to his money, enslaved to the world, that he actually was not willing to give it all up to have eternal life when the one that gave eternal life was right there in front of him. 
See, Jesus had opened his arms to this guy just like he had to the children. Come on, come on, I'm not hindering you, come on. But this guy was hindering himself. He wouldn't do it in so many, so many, so many of us, even as followers of Christ, are like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not following you, Lord. I'm not going that way, even though we claim him as Savior. Man, salvation is saying, Jesus, you're just better than anything else I could want in this world. There's no comparison. So whatever is in this world that I have and you want it, I give it to you. You know what I hear many times when we talk about mission trips? I would never do that. I don't like to fly. I would never do that. I can't afford it. I would never do that. You know, I mean, I hear excuses. And guess, you guys, you can make whatever excuse you want. I, I'm, not, I'm not in charge of that. But don't you ever say to Jesus, you're not worth getting on a plane and going somewhere to serve you. Don't you say that to him? Because he is. Don't you ever say you're not worth me selling my home and moving to somewhere else because he is worth it. Don't you ever say that to Jesus about anything. He's worth it. Whatever it is we have to give up to follow him, let's give it up. He's worth it. Who else? Who else is going to give us eternal life? Who else is going to walk us through this world? Well, let's finish up. Verse 23, Jesus then, as the guy walks away, grieving, Jesus says to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. These are the words of Jesus. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Matter of fact, he says, it'd be harder for a needle or for a, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than to shove a camel through the eye of a needle. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And, and most of us go, well, you know, uh, that's not really talking to us because, you know, we don't make a million bucks a year. We don't make six figures a year, blah, 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 whatever. We're not that wealthy. Well, guys, this passage is uniquely for Americans. It's uniquely for Americans. And we may not be the wealthiest country on earth, but we're one of them. I mean, we have opulence dripping from us. Anybody too hot this morning? <laughs> oh, that's a shame it's too hot in here. Doggone it, we got heat. Anybody need a drink? Oh, yeah, go out and get one. There's one drinking fountain in the hallway. Anybody need to go to the bathroom? Oh, there's a toilet there that'll flush Come with me. Come with me. Come with me in August. Come with me if you think you're not rich. Come with me. Do you know what the people that I've met with that are poorest in the world, the ones in Congo, might be the poorest. The gypsies might be along them, but they're poor. They don't eat every day. They're poor. They don't have water, running water, electricity in their homes. They go squat in a hole. You know what they say to me? If we could just get to America, all would be well. Would it though? 
There's some blessings in America. I'm thankful for our blessings. But would it be, would it all be well if they got to America? Or would their relationship with Jesus be inundated with selfishness and greed? With this desire for the world and to have these things and to be successful and, and to not follow Jesus. Because following Jesus is always going to be giving up self always going to be giving up the world to be friends with the world the Bible says is to be enemies of God Jesus said it's hard for the rich it's harder for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle and the disciples said if that's true who can be saved and Jesus said with man it's impossible but with God all things are possible In other words, our salvation is a work of God that calls us out of this world, that calls us out of the desires of the world, that calls us out of this selfishness and opens up the beauty of Christ and opens up the beauty of forgiveness and opens up the beauty of security in Jesus Christ with a future and a hope in Jesus Christ. It's incredible what God will do in our lives, but it's not up to us. It's not about being good. It's not about having stuff. It's about having Jesus. It's an incredible truth to me that, that God would bring us to this place and go, please stop trusting in your goodness. Please stop trusting in your money. Please stop trusting in your success. Please come to me like a little child. Please come to me like a little child. I won't keep you from me. I won't hinder you from me. I will certainly take you in. I'll certainly save you. He's willing. But yes, yeah, we got to follow Jesus and deny ourselves. It just has to be. I love reading all the word, right? Man, Jesus says there was this pearl of great price that this guy found. And knowing how valuable it was, he went and sold everything he had so he could have the pearl. Guess who the pearl is? That's Jesus. Nothing is more valuable to us, more precious to us, more faithful to us, more loving to us, more strong in our life, more wise for us than Christ. And once we're his and we follow him, he never leaves us or forsakes us. Do you know Christ? Are you following him? If you've never trusted him, trust him now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want to come like a kid. I believe you're the Savior. Forgive me, save me. Maybe we're here and we've trusted Christ, but man, the world has just sucked us in. And we need to repent and go, Lord, I don't want the world. I want you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, I love you. So grateful for you. Your mercy and your grace and your love that you've poured out into my life and the love that you've poured into so many people's lives. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm thankful that in your word you call us to come to you like children, not trying to work our way there, not trying to earn our way there, just trusting you, knowing that you're sufficient and you are. I'm also thankful, Lord, that you call us out of selfishness and worldliness and trusting in our possessions or our own wisdom or any of that. And you call us to yourself, Lord, because you are better. 
and walking with you is more blessed, more joyful, more secure than anything we could do on our own. I pray for those who are lost that today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray for us, if we've been drawn away from Christ into the world, he'd draw us back. And we would follow you for your glory. Lord, I love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing. If you have questions, if you want to be saved and you don't know how, if you just need somebody to pray for you, our pastors are here. We want to, we want to pray with you. Spirit of the Lord is We love you. We are thankful for forgiveness and life eternal in Christ Jesus. Thankful, Lord, that you've opened your arms to those who would come to you simply by faith, trusting you to do what they can't do on their own. And I pray, Lord, you'll continue to do a great work in our lives. May you bless every man or woman, every boy and girl in this place. May it draw us closer daily into your presence for your glory. And we'll give you praise for it, Lord. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.